We're Aaron and Dave Tashin, co-hosts of the Mindful Educators Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here, and today I'm talking with Michael Grady. He's the author of Making God Part of Your Family, Volumes 1 and 2. Lots to learn today. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe. Enjoy. Hey, I, I've got a favor to ask of you, and it, it goes like this. You know, there's probably some people that you know who don't listen to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12. <gasps> oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you know, you could turn them into a subscriber if you just reached out to them and said, Hey, you know, you should listen to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, and you should become a subscriber. What do you think? Do you know somebody? You know, you got that family member, you've got that colleague, you've got that uh, next door neighbor. Hmm? I'm sure there's somebody that you could reach out to and say, have you listened to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 and better yet, subscribe to it? Well, you should. And here's how you find it. That'd be awesome if you would share it with somebody today. I'm glad you're here. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful day. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Michael Crady has enjoyed a successful business career as a certified public accountant and has written and presented numerous formal educational and business courses and articles. Through his many years of teachings, Michael discovered that very few people had even a basic knowledge of the Bible. He has designed his books in story form to engage people of all ages and to help them develop a relationship with God's Word, understanding the meaning, and learn how to apply to everyday life. Michael lives in Florence, South Carolina with his wife, Nan. They also have one son and daughter and three wonderful grandchildren. Michael enjoys professional and college football, and I hate to say that he is an avid Alabama fan. Oh, oh my gosh, man. I, you know, I had a, uh, as an avid Georgia fan, now there's a little better, I, I don't know. But <laughs> Well, I, I have a good connection. When I first moved to South Carolina, there was no such thing as the SEC till South Carolina joined, so I had a good <laughs> client that was a Georgia fan, so we became camaraderies. Uh, no. So I have a good and certainly like Kirby Smart. So, very, I can imagine. Yes, you have a nice little connection there. So that's good stuff. And I, I'm just kidding there. But at the same time, no. <laughs> so I couldn't bear to say the word, words uh, "roll tide." So <laughs> I barely say them anyway. Um, so today we're going to be talking a little bit about your series, making God part of your family, volumes one and two. And uh, and uh, I appreciate you joining me. And uh, uh, Michael, uh, congratulations on creating your two volume book set called Making God Part of Your Family, Volumes 1 and 2. Uh, before we delve into your books, let's talk about you for a minute. You've been a Sunday school teacher for over 30 years. What do you like about helping others learn something new? Uh, I, I discovered early on that I enjoyed sharing what I know more than I did learning it. <laughs> but <laughs> but, but it, it is, it, it's just uh, when, when I get excited about learning something, I do enjoy sharing that with others and had that uh, passion to do that. Uh, when I was five years old, my mother uh, told me Bible stories, uh, and I loved to learn those when I was 12. Uh, through a series of circumstances, uh, she encouraged me, and I ch un unusually chose to do it and start reading the Bible every day when I was 12. And when I was 17, 
she handed a book to me and she said, all right, you've learned to read the Bible, now it's time to study it. And uh, M.R. DeHaan had written a book called Portraits of Christ in Genesis. And it just opened up the Bible to me in a new and exciting way because he tied the Old and New Testament together and said Jesus was right there in the Old Testament. And at first it just didn't seem practical. And as he led me through that, he showed me scripture after scripture that showed the two were tied together. And I was hooked. Uh, from then on and have wanted to share that concept with everybody to understand that Jesus, God's plan of saving us was happened as soon as man was kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And, and I think that that, became, that becomes a very interesting thing to me to know that way back then, God already had a plan for us. And to share that to me uh, is exciting to try to get people to get to grasp that concept. But also I think those stories are there for uh, relevance for our everyday life too. So not only was there an eternal plan done, but I think those stories in the Old Testament help us with our daily lives. And that, so sharing that was, was to me an important element of what God called me to do. Awesome. I, I love it. It, it. You know, one of the things I want to do is, uh, b- before we delve into a little bit more about your message and such and the book itself, could you talk a little bit about how you wrote your books, Making God Part of Your Family, Volumes 1 and 2? I mean, did you outline? Uh, did you ever have writer's block? I mean, did it, did it well, come easy yeah. to you, I guess is what I'm asking? Or did, did you have, actually have this to, to sit down? And uh... right. Well, I've been teaching it for over 30 years when, uh, when <laughs> I started writing it. And so that uh, knowing what I wanted to say, particularly in Volume, volume 1, Volume 2 was a a, a little bit more of an interesting experience of God teaching me. Uh, volume one, I'd been teaching for so long that, that putting it down though was much more difficult. And what I started doing is telling the stories. And I realized that they needed to be short enough for people to be able to do it because um, I wanted it. I, I wrote it on an adult level. I wanted to make sure it's adult level because uh, I, I digressed for just a second. Part of the reason for writing the book was that I found out through teaching that you'd go to church and everybody would talk about how important the Bible was, but when you'd ask them if they read it, the answer was no. And so I started trying to find out why, and there were three consistent things that I found out. They said, I can't understand it. It's boring, and the Old Testament's not relevant. And so what I wanted to do was, as as I taught the, the, the children and the adults, is that I wanted to try to put that to a broader perspective in a, in a book to show that to make it easier to understand, make it more engaging. I've written it so it's conversational. And so if you read it together, you can discuss it as the questions go. And then I wanted to point out how relevant the Old Testament was and how it tied to the New Testament. And, and that I believe that Jesus taught, well, since Jesus taught in parables, I believe God chose the stories. While I don't believe, I believe they're historical accounts, I believe God chose the stories in the Old Testament for a particular reason to teach us both how to uh, live our lives and how to know that God's plan was there from the beginning. So that's the concept, and maybe a little bit longer than you wanted there, but, but I wanted to write it in 10 to 15 minutes spent so that people would really sit down in the family time. I did it with my grandchildren. And, uh, and so as I read it, it would 10 or 15 minutes straight read. But if you talk about it, which is what I want, it's 30 to 45 minutes, depending on the story. And so I wanted to be uh, in small thought-provoking doses, but I wanted the adults to get as much out of it as the kids. Uh, the hook I had 
is that an eight to 10 year old loves the Bible, loves to be read to. And so reading it to them is engaging the family in discussions. And, and that was my, so I, all of that was in the concept of how I did it. I'm going to more detail, but we'll stop there for a minute. Okay. Well, that's awesome. I mean, because that, that tells me a lot and that's, that's, uh, you know, and, and we're going to get, going to get into some of that a little bit later because that explains a lot about, uh, why it is, it's easy to read. It's, uh, um, you know, from the stories are easy to follow. It's easy to understand. And it's neat to know that you had this, this thought process of making the stories, um, short enough and concise enough so that, uh, they're engaging yet, uh, um, you know, not going to take you forever to, to get through them before you have the discussions. So I thought that was cool. And, and to really have the interaction is what I wanted. Uh, one of my surprising, I, as I'm, I say, it's written from ages eight to 80. Um, if you write on adult level, there's a certain child can't do it, but I've taught that nine to uh, eight to 12 year olds for 30 years. I know that they can understand it. If you teach it to them, if you read it with them, because I've been doing it for that length of time, but I wanted, I, the big surprise was that, uh, I was also teaching the 20 to 30 year old class and they have been my biggest uh, proponents of this book. Um, for one example, uh, one of my 25 year olds says, I love the way you made it simple enough to understand, but deep enough that I really felt like I was doing a Bible study. And so that was the good combination that I wanted out of this uh, for that age group. Uh, so uh, it was interesting. And, and I, it was, I wanted it to be a learning experience for all ages, but my real heart was for the family to read it together. That was, uh, while it could be an adult Sunday school class, a children's Sunday school class, my heart was really for the family to get back and read the Bible because I don't believe they're doing that today. Uh, I believe we've kind of left the Bible out of our church uh, too, way too much in the emphasis that it is God's Word and that we need to get back to that. Gotcha. So, you know, and I think you've kind of touched on this just a little bit, but is there that one moment that really inspired you to say, all right, I'm really going to write this book now, this series, because it's, it's, it's not a short little book and it's all, I mean, it's not, it's two volumes. So. Yeah, it, I don't, did not realize what a big task it was when I started. Uh, to be honest, I, I actually started it in the nineties and just, had too much going on, I guess, in my life. I don't know. Maybe God's timing. I'm not sure. Um, but it, it really, it, it was really just something that, so when the second time I sat down, it was just to kind of record those stories in my brain that I'd been sharing over and over again. Interesting about it was that when you tell it, when you tell it in class, you can get away with missing a few points. But when you put it down in a book, I had to go back and say, well, maybe I didn't, I don't think I had the wrong concept, but I did have some of the details wrong. So I did have to kind of go back in and, and get that. Um, but it, it really was just, uh, I started out by just dictating the stories as I'd tell it. I tried to record some and that, uh, that didn't work as good as I said, because I realized that how much I ramble when I talk and um, how, how, how wordy I get when I, when I share. And uh, I will tell you that, uh, to go back, since we've already talked about the University of Alabama, I went to graduate school there, and I uh, felt like that um, my oh, my accounting, I went to Masters of Accounting, but I promise you, I thought they were English professors, because they ripped my writing up, up and down, and I, but it taught me how to write. I'm not a natural at it, but I know when it's right. Uh, they, they taught me the basics of how to go back and read it and draft it and 
And so it, it went through quite a number of drafts before it became final. Uh, but I do believe that it, it, it is concise and easy to understand, and, and that was my goal. Well, you've, you've achieved it. It's, it's nice. It has a nice flow to it. it has, it's easy to understand, and uh, it is, uh, uh, you understand where you're going. And it, has, it, it, it uh, does a very good job of uh, uh, bringing the, the stories to life, so kudos to you. The, you know, as a, you know, one of the things we've mentioned is that you're a Sunday school teacher for 30 years. You know, where do you think, let's, let's talk a little bit about, um, about uh, um, dealing with uh, a little bit around religion and, and so forth here just a little bit. Uh, where do you think religious instruction falls short? I mean, I, I do believe we don't stick with what the truth is and what we know truth to be. And I think that's, it starts with the word of God. It starts with uh, yes, the Bible says that he will write it in our hearts and on our minds, but I think we have some, uh, a, a, a person that I teach with always talks about a plumb line. says that it, you can't keep it straight if you don't have a plumb line when you're constructing. You need that plumb line. You need something to gauge what you're trying to share with and how you live this life. And I think that the Bible is the plumb line. And I think that uh, we need to compare that in everything that we're trying to teach and share with others. It doesn't mean that we can't talk about social issues and even political issues, but I think it, but when we're trying to come up with where we stand and how God wants us to lead our lives, we, we start with that word of God. And that's why I've always emphasized that. I've never used a lot of literature from outside. I do from time to time uh, because that's how I learned. I've just told, already shared about Portraits of Christ in Genesis, but uh, we, 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 our Sunday classes generally start stuck with the Bible, and then we use we use uh, ancillary help to help us go back in and, and share that and, and sticking with that primary basis. And that's why I wanted to do with the book. You can one of the things you were talking about. How was it designed? I start out by telling the stories. Um, but my daughter-in-law kind of taught me. She said, but. Michael, you've asked questions, but you need some discussion questions at the end to help reinforce it. She's a teacher, and she said, you've taught them, but then you get to put the discussion questions at the end, and I liked that and started pulling that together, but I also got excited because I wasn't sure how uh, I was using the New Testament, but it gave me the example of being able to put all the scriptures I used also at the end of the chapter. So, so we, I tell the story, and we ask the questions during the middle. I have questions at the end, but then I also uh, have all the scripture references that I use, and I have little numbers in the story itself, it, and if you go to that number at the end of the chapter, you can go look up the scripture. Uh, I'll give you a for instance. Uh, Jacob uh, showed favoritism to Joseph in the coat of many colors. The Bible, in the Old Testament story, it doesn't say that favoritism was wrong. But we learn in the New Testament that there's scripture that says that, that was not the correct way to do things. We shouldn't show favoritism. And so I use that. I, I, I put when I share that favoritism is, is not good. I use that scripture to support it and use that reference so that somebody looking it up can go to that New Testament scripture to talk about favoritism. Same thing with jealousy that came out from result of the favoritism. All of that, that should and that's where part of, I think, how relevant it is to our daily lives is that we can understand when you're sharing with that story. I had a, a very well-known Methodist minister um, who, um, who was reading the book and he, to test it out, he did it with two, uh, three 13-year-old grandchildren and they were from different families. 
and he was sharing with them and they said he was reading the story about Joseph and the jealousy and, and they said well we don't really have jealousy and one of the other brothers uh stuck up and said don't you remember when this happened and he st they started talking about how the how and actually maybe there was some jealousy there and it's that's the kind of discussion that that I really like to have is that it it it, it does it does stimulate the discussion and that's awesome and it, you know and that's something that I, that uh, I wanted to make sure that I did point out and I appreciate you going ahead you know having that um sharing that because it, at the end of each chapter you have a section called for further discussion as well as uh, then you have the additional part that has the resources that takes them to the rest of the place. And it's called for, uh, to where they can go find more explanation, which is called for further study. You know, um, and just an example of, for the listeners, I mean, on page 26, for example, the question is asked, have you ever made a decision and soon after learned it was a big mistake? And I think it's cool that you included this type of discussion. And I think it's neat that uh, family members, the one who kind of pointed that out as a teacher, you know, we might want to do this uh, <laughs> to help them um, move forward with what they're learning. So I think that's really cool because it does a good job of that. You, you know, after you finish reading that chapter, that section, then you, you go look through those questions. You can see where that would make a great opportunity for family discussion and understanding what they just learned or listened to or read. Absolutely. I give if they have time for another little. When I was reading with my granddaughter, she I started this. She's seventeen now, but I started it when she was nine, and we finished the first book when she was eleven. It was on the last chapter, and I we were headed back home and didn't have time. So I said, "Well, I've read them all to you. How about you're eleven years old? How you read this one to me as we're in the car going?" And it was on the story of Moses. And it was talking about how meek Moses was. And, and I was sharing that meek is not weak. We think of meek as being weak, but it's actually strong. But it does appear to the world that maybe you are weak because you people run over you. And I was saying when you let people do it, it's you're, you're not being run over. You're making the decision to do it. And I said what we need to do is learn to be disciplined and under God's control. And she read that verse and stopped right in the middle she realized that you were turning over your life to God and letting him be in control. And she stopped his 11 year old and said, Papa, that's scary. And that was, it was wonderful that she was able to recognize that, that it is scary for us to turn it over to God because we want to do it ourselves. Mm -hmm. And what, what a valuable lesson that we can learn if we can understand. She still hasn't done it by the way, but I'm working on her. <laughs> and and I haven't done it either, though, so I can't talk about it as much as we all do. But but it is a part of what we need to do, and what a, that was worth writing the whole book just being able to have that discussion with her. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's really good family time. The uh, you know, what are some of the key values that you hope people draw from the Bible? I mean, what what do you think that your readings are going to help them do? I think that's an interesting question. I think for everybody, it's a little bit different because you don't know where they are in their lives. But the first thing that I wanted to do is that, as I mentioned early on, is that God's plan of salvation is there. When we fall, God is there to pick us up. When when Adam uh, and Eve ate the fruit, uh, God gave them their, their uh, punishment for what they had done. But he also gave them a way out. And we have in Genesis 3.15, it says that's the first promise of the coming Messiah when it says the, the seed of the woman shall come and bruise the heel of the serpent. And I believe that was the, the beginning point of it. And I think that 
as soon as we fall, God's ready to pick us up. Um, we talked earlier about the Joseph, the coat of many colors, whose brother was so jealous, they sold him into slavery. He eventually went into the dungeon and became the prime minister of Egypt. What, what, that's a wonderful story in itself, probably my favorite. But in the end, Joseph saved his own brothers. What, what, what a remark. Somebody who had sold him into slavery, he ended up saving them by bringing them uh, to Egypt with them and feeding them and taking them out of the famine. And that's what God does with us, is that when, when we sell him down the river, when we're ready to come back to him, he's there to pick, pick us back up. Uh, Joseph said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And what a valuable lesson. And he said, I'm in God's place. If we could learn that one thing, that we would be in God's place, wouldn't that be a wonderful uh, fulfillment of a life? Is that we know that we've lived our life in God's place. Joseph had recognized it. He had to go through a lot to get there. Uh, but he was able to do that. And I think that's the message that I want people to, to, to see most importantly, is that God is there for us. Nice. Very nice. Uh, how, how, how do you think, what's the best way for families to try and read and discuss the Bible together? What, what thoughts do you have about that? Well, it depends on what age. Again, I, I believe an eight to 12 year old would love to have it read with them and they sit down and read it together and just ask the questions and go over it together and, and talk about things. Sometimes with my grandchildren, we'd get off subject. That's okay. I, I mean, the, the family time together that draws you together, there's something interesting that stimulates uh, for the teenager, that's a little more difficult. They're not going to sit there and probably listen to you read it to them. And so that maybe you could get them to read it ahead of time and then begin to talk about it or have certain questions. As you said, I provided the questions at the end so that if they've already all read it ahead of time, uh, then, then they can hit those key points and spend the discussion time together. Uh, those are the two major ways that, that I, I think you do it. I'm comfortable with doing it just as a 10 to 15 minute nighttime read, you know, with the children. Sit down and, and read it as a, as a, a bedtime story. Um, you can discuss it at other times. Sometimes it, it has a lesson to itself. And so, um, but I, I don't think it's going to be something that, if you're going to sit down and really discuss it 34 or five minutes, I'm not, I'm, I'm aware of today's lifestyle. Doing that, trying to do that every day is probably not going to happen. But if you could do it two or three times a week, uh, once a week, to sit down and take 30 to 45 minutes just to read it and discuss it. And I, I, I grew up in a time where you had sword drills. You know what the sword drill is when you pick up your Bible and, uh, and you would go look up the scriptures? You could go look up the scriptures at the end of the chapter and see who can find them the fastest, uh, sword being the Bible. Um, so uh, th those are the just ways to... to to engage the family together is the way I see it. And, and are the Sunday school class. I mean, with the children's Sunday school class, you could do that. Uh, the, my, my adult Bible study that I go to honored me by doing both books during the Bible study. Nice. Uh, and, and we would sit there and discuss it uh, together, and they would tell me where I was wrong, and I would tell them how I thought was right. I mean, I, I say that jokingly because uh, we have a good time discussing it together, but that's what it's all about. Um, uh, one of my 25-year-olds I mentioned earlier uh, about how important what they were saying is they said, I love the way you gave your opinion, but I'm glad you left open for me to have mine. 
and that's that's what I want. But I don't want to be. I'm very conservative, and I believe the way it is. But I like for it to be. I, I like for them. I ha, like to help them come to their conclusion. But I like it for them to do that for themselves. That's very. That's awesome. Um, awesome comment. I mean, that had to make you feel good. <laughs> it does. Very cool. The, uh, you know, which do you have some stories that you feel? Um, from the Bible that you feel that most people don't know but should know. Do you have a couple like those, that, like I, that? I think, uh, yes, I do. I, I think that in in the volume two that you have, it's the story of Ruth. To me, is probably the most dynamic uh, two stories that I have. It was only Ruth is one of the two books in the Bible named after a woman. Uh, women are not at the forefront of what, what it appears, but I think they're very critical in in the story of the Bible. And Ruth is only four chapters long, but there was so much in there, it took me two stories to tell it. <laughs> and it's a story, it, it is a, it's a story about ordinary people. I think that's what relates to us. Some oftentimes we think of the kings and the leaders and everything else. Uh, the, the stories of Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz were just ordinary folks living ordinary lives, living through the difficult times that they had to live. But it was a story of love, romance, and redemption. Then that, then that, that you don't think of that when you think of the Bible, do you? You think of no. love, romance, and redemption, and it is a story of, of all of that. It's a story of courting and of human love, romance, and redemption, but it's also a prophecy of God's love, romance, and redemption of us. It's a, it's such a beautiful story of people struggling through life in such difficult poverty, and and how God leads them to uh, one of the the rich people, rich relatives. And that rich relative was able to come in and redeem Ruth. See, Ruth was a Gentile. Ruth was not even uh, supposed to be part of the chosen family. Uh, but she was adopted into the chosen family. And Boaz, who was a kinsman redeemer, uh, came back and, and redeemed her. And Boaz, I view as a picture of Jesus. Ruth is a picture of the Gentile church. And Naomi, uh, the, it, uh, the chosen family of Israel, who was later redeemed uh, through the birth of the child. And so I, it, I couldn't go on. We, we could go on for a whole lesson or two for that one, as I said. But that, that is just rich with, with something that we don't normally think of in the Bible as love, romance, redemption, both from humankind and from God. Very nice. Appreciate, appreciate you sharing. The, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of getting, we're getting close to uh, closing here. One of the things I want to make sure that, uh, that we do is uh, we talk a little bit about uh, um, where someone could connect with you and find out uh, some more information, where would you send them? I would. I have a website, uh, and website is www.michaelgrady.org. www.michaelgrady.org. Something very simple. Uh, it talks a little bit about the book. It shows where you can buy it. Has my phone number. Oh, it would thrill me if somebody would pick up the phone and call me and and want to know more about the book or talk about it or just share. Uh, that's part of my ministry. I'm not in this. I certainly would love to sell books That's uh, because I could put it back in the ministry, but God has blessed me with being a successful businessman. So I'm looking at this. This is my ministry. Uh, I believe I'm in full-time ministry, just like somebody that's a preacher in the church. Uh, I happen to, uh, I happen to give advice for a living. Um, I was a CPA for 40 years and, and now an investment banker. And, and that's, uh, that's what I do. Like Paul built tents. Um, I, I, I give services to people and, and I've been very lucky in that. And so 
this is my ministry back is that I, I've loved sharing God's word with, with people of all ages. And uh, so if somebody would call me, uh, the, the website's there. Actually, my, my cell phone number is 843-319-9100. If it got busy and rang off the hook, I would, I would be pleased with that. I'll, I'll find a way to, to get it. But uh, come to the website, uh, buy the book, call me, talk about it. Uh, I'd love to do that. Awesome. I appreciate it. And I'll make sure that the, your phone number, the, the website, as well as the social media links that you have there are all in the, uh, in the show notes so people can find that easily as well. So that's, that's great stuff. So, Michael, I have two last questions that I want to make sure that I ask you. And, the, and they go like this. The, the first one is, how do you overcome the feeling of wanting to quit or give up when things get tough? There is an overwhelming feeling of, of wanting to give up. And I think that knowing that the victory is there in the end and knowing that the, in Romans, it talks about that uh, trials produces perseverance and perseverance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not disappoint. We have to look to the end and know that God is there in the end for us through all the examples of in book two is of David. David was anointed king when he was 16 or 17 years old, but didn't become king until he was 30. He went through years of having to leave his country, acting like a madman, hiding in caves, uh, following up the difficulty of not having any food at times. He went through trial after trial, but he knew that God had a plan because he knew God had anointed him. And he knew that if he was patiently waited, and that's where he was learning, to, going back to my concept, I believe during those 13 years, he was learning to be disciplined under God's control so that he would be the kind of king that God wanted. And sometimes we look at the difficulties and they are overwhelming. But if we can look the future to God, that God is in control and God will deliver us at the right time. The issue that we have is that it needs to be his timing, not ours. And that frustrates us. And uh, I, all I can do is encourage people to know that God will be there in the end. Uh, just wait for his time. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? Uh, well, the first book was dedicated to my mother uh, because she was my teacher. Uh, began with five years old and then 12. Uh, my father taught me also, uh, he taught me the principles of integrity and being honest and and, and leading the family in the way that he should. But my mother was the Bible teacher. And so that she was the one that, that did that. The other one was the Methodist minister that I shared with you. John Ed Matheson was a uh, minister with Fraser United Methodist Moral Church in uh, Montgomery, Alabama, fastest growing Methodist church at one time in America. And his father was my preacher and he taught me children's church. And he gave me the idea of teaching uh, children uh, no, every church I'd been to, eight to 12-year-olds stayed in church, but except in my church. And he was my, he was my, my uh, children's church teacher. And he gave me the idea. I was a, a little boy that couldn't sit still in church. But we went out to our separate little chapel, and he didn't, keep, he didn't make me sit in my chair, but he taught me lessons. And there's one or two sermons I can remember from my whole life, but I can remember one of him because I was a big-time baseball player. And he said a gentleman named Billy Sunday was a wonderful professional, but could have had the potential of being a professional baseball player, but he gave it all up to be an evangelist. And I still remember that. He said he could bump the ball and beat it out to first base before they could throw him out. 
uh, it, it, but he gave it all up. So uh, Johnny Matheson would, would probably have a significant influence. And so when I got to the, my home church here and an adult, uh, I started a children's church from eight to 12 years old uh, based on what he, uh, because of what great experience that I had. That's awesome. I, I can't thank you enough. Michael, uh, thank you so much for sharing your book, Making God Part of Your Family, Volumes 1 and 2. Your books are wonderfully written and help all understand the stories of the Bible as well as the role the Bible can play in the lives of our families. Uh, I wish you the best in all that you do. Thank you. And maybe we can get back together when I, Volume 3 finishes the Old Testament. So I'm working on that right now. So hopefully I'll be able to have that one out uh, very soon. Awesome. You need, uh, please uh, reach out to me as soon as you get out. We'll, we'll, we'll do another, uh, we'll do another edition. How about that? Sounds great. I'd love to do that. Thank you so much. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.